Some chapters in this novel involve graphic depictions of sexual assault and abuse. If you or anyone you know need help, please contact RAIN, the National Sexual Assault Telephone Hotline. 800-656-HOPE. HOPE is 4673. More information can be found at www.online.rain.org. That's R-A-I-N-N.org. This novel is not endorsed by or affiliated with RAIN, but they are doing amazing work every day for survivors and offer a multitude of useful resources. No one deserves to suffer in silence. No one should ever be ignored. Darker Days of Dorothy Gale Aftermath For Episode 61 Chapter 55 Chad and Miles <sighs> Oh, I'm sorry. I hate this chapter. Sometimes the most difficult part of being a writer... An artist, a creator, a human, even, is letting people in. Sometimes the most difficult thing you can do is not only putting words and ideas to paper, but admitting that you had those ideas in your head in the first place. That you had to house those ideas, those thoughts, and incubate them until they were fully formed. My biggest fear as a storyteller is that people will misinterpret what I'm trying to do, that they will project the worst of my characters and their actions onto me, look at me differently, judge me, instead of the other way around, seeing the good in my good characters and projecting that. It's hard to put your thoughts on display especially when they're violent or aberrant. At least, it is for me, anyway. This is one of those chapters that made the decision to turn Darker Days into a podcast very difficult. I'm not saying what I've written is worse than anything else, because, let's face it, it really isn't. There's much worse out there. There's things out there that are made to be disturbing, just for the sake of being disturbing. Authors out there that revel in the shock value of their work. For me, however, this chapter is a line that I had to build up to. It was a question of how far I was willing to go for this. If you listen to this show as the episodes drop, you've probably noticed that it took a while for this one to show up. There's a few reasons for that. This is a long chapter. It clocks in around 43 minutes. It took an hour to record, and at least two hours to edit. And I did that twice. The first time around, I felt it wasn't right. Sometimes when I write things, especially things like this, they sound okay when I put them down on the digital page. 
Sometimes they even sound okay when I record them. It's not until it comes time to edit when I hear my words that I realize they aren't the words I want to use. So I went back and rewrote a significant portion of it, re-recorded the entire thing, re-edited the entire thing. And still, that wasn't enough, though. I wanted to drop the episode and its aftermath at the same time, which didn't end up happening anyways. But uh, when the chapter was done, I still needed to write, record, and edit this this Aftermath episode, which is finally dropped a few days later than I had anticipated or planned, but I suppose it is what it is. Apologies to all those who had to wait. There's a lot to talk about here. Personal limits as a writer slash creative. Safety practices for today's youth. And I guess non-youths as well. Safety knows no age. The inspiration for this chapter, the inspiration for the characters in this chapter, what's been changed from the original text, and a lot of symbolism, and a little bit of a rant on artificial intelligence. This is a Sterling, Kansas chapter that introduces two new characters. Almost all of the chapter takes place at a party on the last day of school during Dorothy's ninth grade year. A lot of it is spent talking about Dorothy's friendship with a boy named Chad and her tolerance of Chad's friend Miles. Chad isn't based on anyone in particular, but Miles is an amalgam of two people I had the great misfortune of knowing in high school. Neither one of those people was named Miles, by the way. And in 100% sincerity, I am not claiming either one of them is or were rapists. Not making any allegations. They were just kinda gross dudes with dubious moral scales. Chad is described as looking like a young Jesse Pinkman. I mean, Aaron Paul, who, as we know, is like totes dreamy. I'm not gay, but if he were to invite me over to Netflix and chill, well... Uh, <clears throat> never mind. Let's, let's move on. Miles, on the other hand, is an ugly, lanky, skeleton man-child with a shitty bowl-cut hairdo and buck teeth. He says racist things, he says sexist things, he means the things he says even if he claims he doesn't. He smells like a nauseating combination of cheap alcohol, cigarettes, and cologne. And he has a level of narcissistic arrogance that is truly unrivaled. 
He's the kind of guy that you wouldn't want to be stuck in a car with for three and a half hours on your way to Council Bluffs, Iowa, to see your favorite band stabbing westward, despite the fact that you were the one that found out about the show and it was your idea to go in the first place, but for some reason, you ended up being a third-wheel tag-along in a car with three other people. And you don't even know how you could be a third-wheel when there's four people. But somehow, you were. And you came out of it smelling like pot, which was illegal at the time, and legal or not, still smells like shit, because he and your brother couldn't go a day without getting stoned, and ultimately, you have to leave the festival early because those two got thrown out, leaving you with the designated driver, who was a legitimately good person, but tragically passed away some years later from leukemia, while Ch- I mean, Miles went on to live a relatively healthy life. <sighs> sorry, 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 sorry. Got off, uh, got a little off track there. Anyways, Miles is a fucking douche. And that's putting it lightly. That's putting it very lightly. He makes sure Dorothy knows what he's capable of. He points out what makes coming forward so difficult for so many survivors. He intimidates her, and he tells her that he isn't going anywhere, and if he can do this once, he can do this twice. He acknowledges the fact that he has so many people wrapped around his finger with his outwardly pleasant personality. The idea that he's seen by many as a nice young man with nice young man habits to match. The description of Chad and his friendship with Dorothy is one that I really like. These two are made for each other. They're like two peas in a pod. But they're at that age of adolescence where young love is unknowable frightening, and full of playful nervousness. Of course, this all comes to a grinding halt when Miles enters the picture. There's not much more of Miles in this story. Chad's going to come back a little bit later on, but I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. Dorothy spends most of the chapter wandering through a party she very begrudgingly attends. She only goes because that's where Chad wants to go. Over the school year, she's developed feelings for this boy, and has decided that it's time to tell him how she feels. She just needs to get through this party first. Something that's going to be easier said than done. Chad leaves her alone, and she spends the night searching for him. Instead of finding her friend, however... She is found by Miles. I've said this before, and I will say it again here and now, and probably sometime in the future. I'm not the riskiest author out there. I'm not saying that anything I write is beyond the pale, or even that extreme or edgy, as the cool kids like to put it. This isn't about pushing the envelope or walking a fine line between art and messaging. 
This is just where my personal limits lie. Darker days is a progression of dark days. And if there's ever a darkest days, it will be a progression as well. There are some difficult chapters here, to be sure. And yeah, some parts of the some chapters are created with a little bit of schlocky shock in mind. This chapter, however, is not that. This chapter is meant to get a point across and do it in a meaningful way. Dorothy is raped. In the original version of this chapter, the assault was depicted with slightly more detail. It wasn't gross rape fantasy type stuff, but I didn't feel like the details that were in it were necessary to get the point across. So, like the man with the spring heels chapter at the beginning of this book, I wanted to reconsider what it means to write a scene like this. I watch a lot of horror movies, and I read a lot of horror novels, and I've seen my share of films and read my share of books that depict sexual assault. Not that I'm seeking those things out, mind you. I spit on your grave, last house on the left, straw dogs, to name a few. And while Last House on the Left was important to the world of horror in its own gross way, and launched the career of Wes Craven, it still felt and feels exploitative. And I Spit on Your Grave was far more exploitative. Also, its subsequent sequels and remakes. And sure, Straw Dogs was arguably more artful than either of those. And then there's things like Irreversible, which is its own thing. The girl with the dragon tattoo and the entire Millennium Trilogy is less about exploitation. And there's Rosemary's Baby with its depiction of satanic sexual assault. But even that isn't really dealt with in any way that confronts the issue Mostly because that's not the true point of that particular story. I mean, it is, but it, it isn't, you know? Anyway, the point is, a lot of media focuses more on the violent act itself, and less on the trauma. A lot of films and books like that just turn into revenge sagas or torture porn. Not all, but a lot. So, yeah, I decided to scale back the description of the assault itself and instead focus on the repercussions and what will be some of the lasting effects. Dorothy blacks out and finds herself in a city on fire. This is a reference to the city of Dis from the Inferno, the city of lustful depravity. This isn't a punishment for her, however. At least, not in the sense that she did anything to deserve this. Because she didn't do anything to deserve this. It's more to say that, unfair as it is, sometimes the innocent are punished because the guilty are too good at what they do. 
Dorothy is thrust into hell, completely against her will and at no fault of her own. The monster that approaches her is trauma, the fear and anxiety that will stay with her forever. The monster is depicted with the head of a wolf with blood-red eyes and razor-sharp teeth. Its body is covered with scales and feathers. It also has a pair of red and black wings, along with a serpentine tail tipped with a venomous stinger. It also features antlers growing from the top of its head and its lower jaw, along with a snake that slithers between its legs. I've also said this time and time again, and I will probably also say it sometime in the future. Not everything has meaning. Sometimes cool things are just cool things. This, however, is one of those things where there's a lot of meaning. Also, I think it's pretty cool. Like, cool-looking. Not cool in that traumatic experiences are cool. But anyway, uh, this monster represents Dorothy's unescapable trauma and is based on a lot of different creatures and gods. The wolf's head is a reference to Fenrir. Fenrir? Fenrir? However you pronounce it, it's the Norse god of destruction and chaos. A beast prophesied to kill Odin at Ragnarok. The monster's head, changing from that of a wolf to a man, is a reference to the shape-shifting Celtic goddess of war, death, and fate. Morrigan. Also, in reference to the creatures she could shapeshift into, are its scales and feathers. The color of its red and black wings are a reference to Ares, the Greek god of war and violence, also associated with lust. Its serpentine tail and the snake between its legs attribute to Apophis, the Egyptian god of evil and chaos, a giant snake that would try to swallow the sun every night. The snake between its legs also serves as not-so-subtle symbolism of, well, you know, male parts. You know what? I'm I'm a grown-up. I can say it. We're all grown-ups here. Hopefully we're all grown-ups here. Penis. It's a representation of his of a, of a penis. A gross, fork-tongued, serpentine penis. Boy, that felt weird to say. Let's never say that again. Anyways, the lion's mane is a reference to the Nemean lion, a beast that was slain by Heracles, or Hercules, if you prefer him as one of his twelve labors, a nearly indestructible creature. Not so much a reference to the Lion of Oz lore or the courage that comes with that character. Confusing? Yeah, maybe a little bit, but eh, you know, eh, it's my story. The antlers growing from this monster's head and face are there in reference to just being cool. I like antlers on cool-looking god monsters. That's mostly from my love of the film and the book, The Ritual. 
So I guess it's not 100% meaningful, but, you know, again, my story. This monster tells Dorothy that he is trauma without using the word trauma, telling her, I am fear. I am everything. I am hatred. I am anger. I am you. And you are me. We are fate. I will be with you forever. Ah, I just I really just wanted to use that voice more. I I just think it's really cool. Anyways, this creation was not in the original text. I wish it was, and I wish I would have had the foresight to implement it earlier on in both dark days and darker days. But I didn't. If I ever get around to darkest days, you can bet your bottom dollar this character is coming back. But, barring any other unforeseen changes, this is the one and only time you hear from him in this book. The description of the party is largely inspired by the classic horror film Scream. In my head, the house is laid out in a very similar fashion. When Dorothy walks through the kitchen, I picture Skeet Ulrich and Matthew Lillard. When she opens the door leading to the garage, I picture Rose McGowan. And when Dorothy stands in front of the TV asking if anyone has seen Chad, I can just imagine Jamie Kennedy yelling at the TV as it plays Halloween instead of some crappy infomercial. I'd also be lying if I said I didn't picture Sterling, Kansas as looking a little bit like Woodsboro. I've only been there once, Sterling, Kansas, that is, and it was only for about 20 minutes or so. And based on that, I feel like I'm not entirely off base. It was a pleasant town. Probably still is. The chapter concludes with Dorothy and Chad being dropped off in front of the town library. Dorothy is broken and sick, leaving Chad behind as she decides to walk home, alone. Okay, okay, let's, let's take a moment to talk some general safety. This is for everyone, not just young women. And yeah, I might sound like a stiff, fun-sucking father, but guess who has two thumbs and is sometimes considered a stiff, fun-sucking father? This guy. I'm pointing to myself with my thumbs, by the way. Tell your parents where you're going and who you'll be with and when you'll be back. If not your parents, then whoever your guardian is or guardians are. And if not them, a trusted adult or at the very least, a trustworthy friend that you know to be responsible. Keep emergency numbers handy in your cell phone. Take some cash with you in case of an emergency. Don't store it in your purse or wallet. 
if someone mugs you or robs you, that's what they're most likely to grab and run off with. Stay with trusted friends. Don't go off alone. Be little children. Use the buddy system to help keep each other out of potentially dangerous situations. Know how you're going to get home after the party. Arrange for someone to pick you up. Or at the very least, have a dependable, and I mean dependable, designated driver. Someone you know isn't going to be drinking or doing drugs. If you're planning on drinking, it's a good idea to eat before you go to the party. And drink plenty of water to slow the absorption of alcohol. This is probably actually a good idea even if you're not planning on drinking. If you're going to drink alcohol, moderation is key. Pace yourself. Drinking games are fun and all that, but come on. Who are you trying to impress? Dangerous and bad and dangerously bad decisions are far more likely when you've had too much or don't know your limits. Be aware of drink spiking. Don't let others top off your drinks. Don't leave your drinks unattended. Don't take drinks from strangers, even if they're dreamy like Aaron Paul. It's okay to take your own beverage. It's also okay to never let it out of your sight. Don't do drugs. I mean, that's an okay thing to not do, right? But if you are going to do them, make sure you know what you're taking. Let someone else know, too, while you're at it. If something happens, the paramedics are going to need information. And that information could be life-saving. Your friend telling them, Oh, well, they took something, but I don't know what it was. Is going to be far less helpful than your friend saying, Uh, yeah, they took this and they took that. If you're going to have sex or engage in any kind of sexual activity, it's important to always make sure you've given and received consent. There should be no victims. If someone passes out, Jesus Christ, call 911. That should go without saying, but here I am saying it anyway. Tell them as much as you can. This is so they can help. Don't let someone die because you're too afraid to call for help. Don't be afraid to help someone live. Okay, okay, so now that we got all that unpleasant yet important stuff out of the way, let's talk about something completely unrelated to the story. Mostly unrelated to the show. It's no secret, I love the advancement of technology, especially artificial intelligence. I've been fascinated since long before it became the super buzzword that it is today. I love playing around with GPTs that can write silly stories or tell me jokes. It made research for the Dante's Inferno episodes a million times easier and like a hundred times better. Sometimes I even use image generators for inspiration for episode artwork. And there's even been a time or two when I used it for voice work. I wouldn't let it write a book for me. I wouldn't pass its artwork off as my own, and I'm as transparent as can be when it comes to the VO. That's uh, 
voiceover. <laughs> For those in the know, sorry I said that. Anyways, in these episodes, and I mean the Chad and Miles chapter in the of course, this aftermath episode, I used AI for the voice of the monster. Also used it for the rain disclaimer at the beginning of these episodes. I also used it to clone my voice and fix an error in the Chad and Miles chapter. I accidentally left out a line and instead of getting out all my recording gear and setting up my laptop and doing all that recording stuff and re-editing and all that stuff... It was just easier to go to Eleven Labs, type in a single line of text, and have it read for me. I think it turned out pretty seamless. I, I, I think it's pretty unnoticeable. Anyways, you you get the idea. Um, yeah, it it just instead of making a thirty minute ordeal out of the process, I just it was just easier to go that way. It was a painless five minute process, and I. Th- think it turned out okay. For the disclaimer, and to fix my error, I used text-to-speech, and it worked out pretty nicely. For the monster, I recorded the part myself. That's me talking there, doing the acting, so to speak. But the voice you hear is an AI-generated overlay. And honestly, I think it kind of rocks. I really do. And I see no problem with any of these scenarios. There's a lot of people out there like me, people that don't see this as a threat. But there is also a lot of people out there that do see it as a threat or an infringement on their creativity. And I get it. I understand the logic. I just disagree with it. Mostly. The argument I hear most authors make is that AI companies like ChatGPT are using their copyrighted works to train their models, and they feel they should be compensated. Sure. Okay, I get it. You, you wrote something? You want to be paid for it when someone or something reads it. Personally, it wouldn't bother me if my work was being used to train AI. Probably wouldn't make it any better. But, you know, and I don't just say that because I'm already giving my work away for free. There's no stopping this train, no putting this genie back in the lamp, no unrubbing grandma's weird, dry, crackly feet. I like the idea of contributing to the future. Besides, if I ask ChatGPT for a summary of Bedwetter and it gives me one, Uh, What's the difference between that and asking a person who's read it for a summary? Is it because the person that read it presumably paid for it or checked it out from a library that paid for it? So does that mean only people who paid to read a book should be allowed to summarize it and give opinions? I could ask a person that stole it. And get the same information. I could go to Wikipedia or Goodreads and get the information. Then I could tell that to someone, even though I've never read the book myself. Would that make me a bad person? It might make me a little unreliable and kind of not a great source, but I don't think it'd make me a bad person. Would that make me as bad as an AI giving me the summary? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe that would make me worse. Because the AI at least read it. I'm using air quotes for the word read there. So I get it on principle. But 
that doesn't bother me. As for AI writing stuff and performing stuff, I understand all the writers and actors out there saying AI is coming to replace them. Maybe their complaints and fears are a little more valid. Personally, I think there will forever be a desire for human-made content. And once this boom is over, who knows? Maybe human talent will become more lucrative because it has that ineffable human touch. And hear me out on this one, okay? I honestly believe that while AI might seem like it's closing doors on professionals, I truly, truly believe it's opening doors for everyone else. I've said this before, and I apologize for not knowing who it's attributed to. I think it was Francis Ford Coppola, but uh, I could be wrong. Anyway, I once heard someone make the point that art isn't truly art until anyone can do it. Not all game studios and developers are Rockstar or Activision Blizzard. Not all filmmakers are Steven Spielberg. And not all studios are Pixar or DreamWorks or Ghibli. Not all companies that need marketing and promotional materials are Walmart or Target or Costco. The fact that I, an ordinary dude with no money, could cast a voice for a character on my own is pretty remarkable. The idea that I could potentially cast a complete audio drama on my own is pretty remarkable. Because I wouldn't be able to accomplish a lot of the things I want to with my otherwise limited resources. And that doesn't just go for me. There's a lot of small businesses out there that might not be able to afford a copywriter for a 30-second ad, let alone a professional voice actor. If the old mom-and-pop bakery down the street that can hardly pay their bills and their employee can go and have a decent ad written and read for free or at least a very low cost, who is that harming? It's not harming the writer or actor that wouldn't be getting any money from them in the first place, right? And if that bakery were to use AI to generate an ad or a poster for their shop, what's the harm in that? Just because they can't pay a professional to create artwork or do some menial graphic design doesn't mean they shouldn't be able to advertise or promote their business. Or maybe it does. Again, the artist that isn't getting paid by the bakers isn't out any money because the bakers had no money to give them in the first place. That makes sense, right? A lot of people don't like AI because they think it's sucking up all the creativity and using it to create new things. It's the idea that if someone takes a hundred photos, AI shouldn't be able to use those photos to create new ones. They like to complain that AI is stealing the work of other artists. Listen, there's not a single artist out there that isn't stealing the work of other artists. If you're drawing inspiration from someone, you're stealing their shit. If you see a black and white picture of an empty street on a rainy night, and you go out and take a similar black and white picture of an empty street on a rainy night, guess what? You may have technically created something new, but you've essentially stolen and copied someone else's idea and their style. Why or how 
Because every creative thing we do is nothing more than a bunch of crazy puzzle pieces waiting to be put together. And all those crazy puzzle pieces are being pulled from everything else. Sometimes those pieces come together in a way that's unique and interesting. And sometimes those pieces come together for something generic and uninspired. Sometimes they come together in sporadic ways that make absolutely no sense, but are still somehow respected. Like a David Lynch film. Or Twin Peaks. So yeah, I personally think the world of AI is more of a benefit to creatives than it's not. It's bringing down the walls of the walled garden that's been shielding so many from the harms of the less educated, more common folks. Okay, alright. Enough is enough. I've ranted and raved long enough and probably made very little sense in the process. So it's time yet again to say... If I missed something, or failed to address something you feel I should, let me know. I am always open to questions, comments, or constructive criticism. You don't have to like this show. I'm not sure why you're listening, though, if you don't. But, like it or not, you can be nice. I know you can. I believe in you. And certainly, that must account for something. Even if it's a little something. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can do that by emailing darkdaysofdorothygale at outlook.com. You can find me on TikTok, where it is at DarkDorothyG. Alternately, I appear on TikTok, Instagram, and threads under the identity of The Ordinary Sun. That is S-U-N. And of course, if social media isn't quite your jam, there's always the official Dark Days website. ddofdg.com Darker Days of Dorothy Gale was once on Amazon as an e-book and in paperback form. But at the time of this recording, the podcast is the only way to experience it. If you would like to support the show, buying a t-shirt or a sticker or something is really the coolest way to go. Come back next time for Chapter 56, A Meeting with Royalty, Part 1. Thanks for listening. I love you all.